Welcome, everyone, to the ninth episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? It's Sunday night here. I cannot believe we made it to episode nine. I think that's a pretty big achievement. Yeah, yeah. Very happy that we were consistent about this and really getting the the truck rolling here. We got a pretty sweet future ahead of us. Uh, we're getting we're getting more downloads, getting more subscribers. Please give us those reviews if you have not yet already. We really appreciate it. We we need to give this snowball a little bit more energy. So with your help, we can get that rolling. Yeah, I think we've gone from zero to one officially. I, I feel like we've graduated past our immediate circle. So that's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Very very true. Uh, as for the future. Our next episode, we'll be having our first interview. We're going to interview a man named Amin Soleimani, who is kind of the the lead behind the SpankChain uh, project. Uh, SpankChain is a, a project that is trying to uh, b- uh, create a platform for the adult uh, performance industry, uh, cam girls, uh, streamers, stuff of that nature, um, and trying to uh, give them a safe haven for their financial um, uh their financial well-being of sorts kind of if, if you don't know uh paypal isn't very friendly to the uh, adult industry and, and neither are banks and so that's where crypto comes in and help and and uh, i mean uh kind of started that whole that whole process so we're going to be talking to him next week and we're pretty excited for it yeah and while not everyone is super interested in cam girls uh they are some, they are a group in the first world that is legitimately underbanked so uh, crypto has always been something that has really resonated with that community, um, and it's a perfect. Uh, it's definitely a perfect use case um, or demonstration of a lot of crypto use cases. So I think that's really exciting. I know that you are a huge Spank Chain fan, so um, mm. it's pretty cool to to get Amin uh, on the show, and and I'm really excited that he was open. Uh, he was open to coming on. Yeah, very true. And it, it is worth noting about how porn is a huge driver of technology and that has been made no exception in cryptocurrency. And we see that with uh, with uh, uh, projects like SpankChain. So w- worth paying attention to for that reason alone. So let's go ahead and dive right into the meat of this podcast. We have a, a nice little agenda here to talk about. We're going to start with the markets a little bit because we haven't touched that in a while. Uh, then we're going to talk about China and what's gone on in the court there. Uh, we're going to talk about Monero's bulletproofs and some wrapped Bitcoin uh, and all the other ongoings of that nature. So let's go ahead and, and start that off. Christian, you want to get, us, get into the markets with me? Yeah, got, got an exciting show for you guys. Thanks again for joining the POV Crypto Podcast. Real quick reminder to please rate, share, and review the show uh, at follow us on Twitter at POV Crypto Pod. I'm at CK underscore Snarks. Change the change the handle there. I think it's a uh, it's it's more fitting for the crypto space. And, and David, where can people find you before we jump into the show? You can find me at Trustless underscore State, both on Twitter and Medium. Awesome. So I think the the story with the market is still that it is very stable. Um, there's been a number of shitcoin pumps, but outside of that, you know, the big di- guys are kind of holding their levels. Uh, Bitcoin has been at 6400 for a while. In the meantime, the stock market is tanking. So last week was a historically bad week and couple of days for the Dow. So while stocks are in disarray, crypto is stable. It's 
so weird how things just like do a whole 180 like that. It's it's you know crypto has been stable when the memes about how stable Bitcoin is start coming out. The amount of of I'm the stable coin now from Bitcoin is uh, the amount of memes I've seen of that on Twitter and on Reddit is it's absolutely insane. Like that's how you know something is is weird. It's been like four or five weeks now where we've kind of been been between uh, six thousand five hundred and like six thousand two hundred. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, and it seems like. ETH has been holding its price relatively well, mm-hmm. although every time I look mm-hmm. at it, it is a little depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Anything else? Well, it, it's something. there's something worth saying about, like, th- there's two forks in the road that we could be coming out of this with this market. It's like, are we so flat that we've found a purchasing purchasing floor where institutions and big money people are, are propping up the floor of this bear market? Or are we just like uh, running slowly towards the edge of a cliff and one day we're all going to wake up and check Blockfolio and we're all down 25% or something? Um, my guess is the former. I don't think we have big moves left in us. I think crypto has matured a lot because of the amount of attention, liquidity, um, and smart money coming into this place. So I don't think we're ever going to really see radical, too radical shifts in price anymore. Um, the excitement is really just down to a bare minimum. Um, and I think we've seen that we can see that reflected in the stable price. And I, I think we're transitioning into a more stable, mature marketplace with this, with this whole phase of this bear market. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to make any price predictions and once again, this is not investment advice. Mm-hmm. So do your own research, yeah. people. But I'm a psychology major. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are listening to a psych and comm major. So yeah. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Yeah. All right. Um, but regardless, I think you know. Personally, I'm I'm a little bit bearish, but at the same time, I am the ultimate Uber bull. So just dollar cost averaging in. You don't know what's going to happen. If it goes down, that's cheaper Bitcoin for me. If it doesn't, uh, I'm definitely capitalizing at these prices or trying to. So, yeah. All right, so let's get into our first story. Our first story today is that Bitcoin, the white paper, was released uh, 10 years ago. Yay, 10-year anniversary. That's actually a big deal. That's actually a big deal. Almost almost 10 years ago, October 31st. So halloween day which is in- by, by the time we release this episode yeah by the time you guys hear this maybe maybe we will release it on the 31st as a commemoration yeah. to to the white paper but pretty big deal uh january 3rd is the anniversary or is the 10-year anniversary of the actual network launching so this is just for the white paper but pretty badass satoshi releasing it on halloween day mm-hmm. i feel mm-hmm. i feel like he is definitely a man who who knows how to make a statement yeah, that's a good point. When uh, when was uh, the the pizza day? Bitcoin pizza day? I think that was almost two years later, but I don't remember the exact date. I'm like two years? No, not two years. It was like it was like the next year. I think it was April of 2010. Bitcoin pizza, because that's that's would be the next time uh, we get the uh, anniversary of that. It'll be the 10 year anniversary of Bitcoin actually having value for the first time because it was actually exchanged for something for the first time. And that's really cool. Um, and so we'll, we'll compare the market cap from zero to whatever it is on that day. And that will be an interesting thing to compare. Zero to one. That's when, that's when the... That- May 22nd. May 22nd of, uh, oh, of 2020. 
not of 2019. I told you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. But zero to one, All just right. like our show, baby. Keep yeah. it going. Yeah. The beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we in other news, there was some uh, positive developments out of China. From what we understand, a court in Shenzhen, which is a large province, I think in the su- southern reason- region of China. Um, I'm American, so don't... <laughs> You know, check that out yourself. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we don't know our geography too good over here in the United States. <laughs> but prominent court rules that effectively Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are property, not necessarily currency, uh, and therefore empowers the people of China to have some more protections under property protections and right to property protections. So uh, that is a small win for Bitcoin and crypto in China. And apparently enables uh, Chinese citizens to own and exchange uh, cryptocurrencies amongst themselves over the counter, that kind of stuff. I don't think it has anything positive to, le- uh, you know, any positive developments on the uh, online exchanges. But in terms of OTC in person transactions and ownership, uh, it's it's a positive development. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned it was a small win. It is It is a small win just because we don't really know how to quantify it, but it's easily one of those stories that could absolutely snowball into something much, much bigger. Uh, if this is the spark that lights off the dynamite that is China, uh, it, that could be pretty interesting. Um, I would imagine that China as a whole will be one of the main uh, uh first adopters of cryptocurrency as an ecosystem and it just kind of depends on when those kind of virtual walls fall uh, to allow china to do it because china is relatively tech friendly um, with with uh, tech adept people Uh, and so i think the bitcoin virus could uh, spread very very nicely once it gets into china and uh, and some fear around using the the crypto ecosystem kind of goes away. Um, so maybe this is the start of that whole process. That would be interesting. Um, we won't really know until later on what actually does bring down the virtual walls of China. But maybe this was it. Well, the people of China are some of the most needy people of what Bitcoin and cryptocurrency offer. Uh, they need places where they can you know, try to fight back with all the surveillance that's happening. China is really moving into an Orwellian type state where they're going to have like kind of like compliance scores or trustworthy scores and your internet speeds get tethered based on how trustworthy the government deems you are. Um, They're already very much all on Alipay and WeChat payments. So, you know, essentially those are extensions of surveillance. They have, you know, people don't use cash nearly as much in China anymore. Uh, And on top of that, they have strict capital controls. So something like Bitcoin or a, you know, censorship resistant cryptocurrency offers them the ability to, you know, acquire this asset that they can, you know, move very, very easily and is uncensorable. Um, So... They need it. There's a lot of people that need it, and there's a lot of people with money. So it's just a matter of those people learning about how to use it, and you know, eventually people in the government starting to use it, and then that's that's when the cracks start to show and the walls start to break, um, and that you know, when people inside the government are 
are using these solutions and all of a sudden are becoming internal advocates of these type of solutions and slowly making uh, them more viable for their people. And, uh, you know, potentially this court ruling could be made, you know, ruled by a secret Bitcoiner. Maybe this judge is a secret Bitcoiner. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But that's how these it's, cryptocurrencies it's work. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, I see I see this big, gigantic uh, dam that is slowly breaking down and crumbling and, and or some floodgates or that are about to open. China has China's a big octopus. It's got his reach in so many parts of the world all over all over the world. There's so much business that goes through China. Uh, and if China just quickly adopts cryptocurrency, it could be a driving force as a whole. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed that happens sooner rather than later. It's going to happen eventually, though. It'll happen. It'll happen in our lifetimes. So another probably another cryptocurrency that people use to evade capital control and to gain <laughs> and and to gain uh, privacy is Monero. Nice. And Monero has nice. uh, some pretty big news in the past couple of weeks regarding those their most recent upgrade. David, you want to kind of jump into the details? Yeah. So Monero has all historically um, been just the uh, most loved privacy coin by the decentralized maximalists out there, um, simply because of the privacy by default status that is Monero, which puts it in a different league than Zcash. Uh, Zcash is is a hybrid private, not private, where you can decide to be, um, you can decide if you want your transactions and, and accounts to be shielded or not. Monero is not. It's fully private all the time no matter what account balances transactions everything is private and it does this it does this uh through what's called um ring signatures and zero knowledge proofs where uh, a zero knowledge proof is uh something some cryptographic code that allows you to prove to someone that you know something without actually telling them what the secret is uh and this has been really uh comp computationally expensive it's it's hard to do this in mass, uh, which is why transaction fees on Monero are just you know a, a nice notch above what you would find on most uh, most blockchains. Uh, it's somewhere in the in the 50, 20 to fifty cent range, whereas current Bitcoin transaction fees are just a few pennies, I believe. Um, and so it, it's pretty hard. Uh, and so for that reason, Monero has uh, been criticized as unable to scale. Um, not really able to handle the capacity of, uh, you know, of good money uh, just because of the, the inevitable demands that will be placed on it. Um, but these bullet proofs have apparently reduced the transaction fees by 97%. 97%. That's a lot. Uh, Christian, you want to get into this? Yeah. And just to kind of cover a few more details. So effectively, Monero is one of the most effective privacy coins so when you're using monero one of the features that it offers is that people will not be able to find your balance whereas if you're using bitcoin if someone is able to anyone can see all the accounts balances on the bitcoin blockchain if someone can link your your account address to your identity then effectively they know exactly how much money you have so what monero offers you to do is you know, all the accounts don't show any balances and every transaction doesn't show, you know, what was the sum of the transaction. It has confidential transaction. Um, so the technology that they use to enable that, like David said, was very 
um, expensive and uh, it, it, you know, it, it was a heavy type of a transaction. So in the most recent update, they added in type of cryptography called bulletproofs. Um, and bulletproofs are supposed to um, really reduce the size of the CT ring signature. So the confidential transaction ring signature that Monero uses. And so far, the results have been incredible. Um, bulletproofs are something that people in the Bitcoin community talk about as um, being something that they want to add into Bitcoin. So seeing it applied to Monero and having such outstanding results is really exciting. Um, and I think this is a, an example of why altcoins exist. First and foremost, they are inevitable because once Bitcoin was created, um, the cat was out of the bag. You know, you can create digital scarcity to some degree um, using, you know, these type of blockchain solutions. Um, and, every, you know, other people were going to be incentivized to create them. Um, but on top of that, they are test beds that have economic value that people, you know, there's skin in the game where people can test things out in the wild. Um, and this could potentially be huge for the protocol like Bitcoin and potentially other protocols. Um, and why I'm not like upset about Monero existing and, in you know, experimenting. Yeah, there, there is something to say there about uh, this would not be as cool if some random blockchain just started to implement uh, bulletproofs. Uh, the fact that Monero, which is, I think, number 10 in coin market cap right now, the fact that, uh, yeah, um, that they have experimented with this new thing to test it out with, you know, millions and millions of dollars at stake that is very validating as to this piece of technology. Um also, 97%, that is an order of magnitude. That is absolutely massive. That's like a qualitative shift in the quality of the Monero blockchain. Definitely. Uh, you don't see 97% increases uh, like that every day. Um, so th that's pretty historic, in my opinion. That puts Monero you know, back on the top shelf of like you know potential just massive winners in this space. Yeah, I know you're, you're pretty bullish on Monero. Uh, personally, it's mm -hmm. one of the ones I'm more interested in as well. Well, I actually wouldn't say, if we're talking about the price, I'm not too sure I'm bullish on Monero. Uh, I actually think Monero might suffer from the velocity problem, just because you can buy Bitcoin, do something dirty with it, and then trade it with for Monero, and then exchange it back for, for different Bitcoin. So you can you have this velocity problem that might ensue with Monero. Um, but, you know, who knows? Um, it, it could be definitely kept as like a secret store of value as well. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of different value props for Monero. Monero, yeah, with Monero with exchanges is a way to essentially rent your Bitcoin. But if Monero gets to the point where people are actually holding it and using it as a, yeah. um, you know, completely obfuscated way of having account balances in the blockchain world, uh, it could work. I don't know. Again, I'm much more of the theory that there's going to be one thing that we call money and, you know, anything else is just features and, you know, extras. So that's kind of my theory. But Monero also does have constant inflation. So from an inf inflation uh, perspective, uh, holding value would be incentivized to happen in Bitcoin um, just because you wouldn't subject, be subject to inflation. So I don't think we'll be seeing people hold all their wealth in Monero just because of obvious incentive reasons. Um, but I could see, definitely see a lot of people holding a small amount for whatever. Yeah, your, your little stash. Um, and, you know, speaking yeah. of, you know, 
cryptocurrencies being further monetized and really continuing to develop, we've seen a development that's a little bit interesting. Instead of ERC-20 tokens that are backed by U.S. dollars and creating U.S. dollar stable coins, uh, last week um, a Bitcoin-backed ERC-20 token came out called Wrapped Bitcoin. It was released by BitGo, um, which is the famous uh, cryptocurrency custody organization, uh, and they are looking to bring Bitcoin liquidity to the Ethereum world. Yeah, I am so excited for this. I've, I've seen this coming from a mile away. I knew someone was going to do it. I just didn't know who. Um, but it's it, as soon as we got dollar-backed currencies on Ethereum as ERC-20s, I knew that there was going to be a Bitcoin-backed token on Ethereum. It was just too easy to make. Bitco is the right person to do this, the right company to do this. They're a custodian service, and they I, I would definitely think that they have the best custodianship record in the space, the most trust, I would think. Uh, I've only heard good things about them. Uh, Mike Novogratz used them to hold his, uh, his cryptocurrencies. Um, and so uh, it's just it's just too logical. Uh, as for uh, ERC twenty Bitcoin on Ethereum, I think that's going to be such a cool mixing of, of different uh, different um, qualities. Uh, you're going to be able to see uh, smart contracts run on Bitcoin using Bitcoin as a currency, um, and I think there's going to be a a stablecoin two race where people. People are running or different stablecoin projects are competing for real estate on Ethereum. And I think that that is going to happen with every other major cryptocurrency, because if you can tokenize Bitcoin and put it on Ethereum, you can tokenize almost any other cryptocurrency and put it on Ethereum as well. And so I think there's going to be an asset backed token race for starting with Bitcoin um, and then moving on to pretty basically every other um, currency that people want to use on Ethereum. Uh, I think that'll be a fun thing to see. Which which currencies do you think like have a reasonable chance of getting on becoming an ERC twenty token? Because there's a lot of work of probably to do it. True, um, and I and I think that uh, you could just go down the market cap and and say like whoever whichever one has the highest market cap has the most potential for um, more incentive to put on Ethereum just because uh, you want you want to have economic activity run through your centralized service, and so if you can capture value by putting more market cap or linking those two things, you will be able to capture more of that. Um, and so we'll start with Bitcoin. Maybe we'll see Bitcoin cash follow and Litecoin follow right after that. Um, I'll laugh my ass off if EOS gets an ERC20 token. I was just thinking about that. That would be so funny, dude. <laughs> just go full circle. You start as an ERC20 for your token sale. You get put into a EOS, a separate blockchain, and then your EOS gets locked up and put back on Ethereum. That would be so clowning. <laughs> for some reason, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. But ultimately... I think that, Well, I think this could be standardized. I think there's a pretty easy way to standardize this, where you just have a smart contract controlled wallet, especially with EOS, because it's a smart contract platform. You just have a smart contract controlled wallet and that's plugs into Ethereum and you can just have go have a two-way highway transfer. But doesn't that make all the funds effectively in hot wallets? I feel like one of the biggest reasons to have any of these assets is so you can keep them cold. What do you mean? So the way that BitGoes works is that you have to trust them to custody mm -hmm. your Bitcoin so that way you can transact with your mm -hmm. Bitcoin on Ethereum. 
um, or, you know, essentially they have the pot that they hold on to. And, you know, that could be a lot safer, but you're still trusting them. Yeah. So hardcore Bitcoin people might not be into that as much, but I don't think that represents the majority of the people that will use it on Ethereum because this is going to be serving uh, Ethereum people, not necessarily Bitcoin people, because it's going to be Ethereum people that's buying Bitcoin on um, the Ethereum blockchain. So price-wise, are you gonna? Do you think that you're gonna see a difference between the Bitcoin price and the WBTC price? Yeah, I think the the WBTC price will be a little bit higher because it, it takes work to get it onto the Ethereum blockchain, and you have to pay for the 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 privilege of interacting with it on Ethereum until there's a lot of liquidity. Because it's not gonna get ch- it's not gonna get cheaper because it's on Ethereum because it's it's a it's a privilege that it got access to this network. Um, and you had to pay for the services that Bitco pulls from. You know, the, it'll start off like kind of more scarce, uh, and then it'll, it'll have a little bit of a price bump that way. Uh, and maybe over time, as the as the friction points between Bitcoin and Ethereum are brought down, there's less of a price. But yeah, it'll it'll be scarce on Ethereum, so people will pay a little bit higher a price. I guess that's probably until arbitrage kicks in. I mean, I guess that's probably true. Seeing you know the difference between Tether and the other. USD tokens, uh, the ones that are auditable, actually have a little bit of a premium. Whereas Tether, now that it actually has competition, I think that's left over from it the has it stablecoin shit. But it has it, it's actually at a little bit of a lower uh, level. Um, oh, it's a lower price point. It's not exactly a dollar anymore. It used to be like exactly a dollar the whole time. Now it kind of fluctuates up or down depending on what's going on. So I guess I can I could potentially see that. I don't know. I feel like people are going to suspect it because not your Bitcoin. It's still not your Bitcoin private keys. So it's not going to be the same it's Bitcoin. True. And theoretically, you know, BitGo could start operating a fractional reserve um, mm-hmm. printing operation, which, you know, that seems like this, that like there will be fractional reserve Bitcoin. I have no idea how it's going to work, but... Maybe it's going to be right. fractional reserve Bitcoin on Ethereum. Who knows? Yeah, that's that's a good point. That that would cause a bunch of issues. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin Bitgo could certainly go the uh, audited by disinterested third party route, like Gemini did, um, and that would mitigate that issue. Um, trust, but no, I, I totally huh? all of that. Yeah, I mean, there's trust. trust somewhere. There. Well, so then, well, then we can get into the topic of Cosmos and talking about ways to get. Uh, ERC-20s that represent other cryptocurrencies on Ethereum in a trustless way, because that's what Cosmos does. Uh, we actually talked about this in our second episode ever. Um, don't listen to yeah, it. Yeah, you want to get into it? Don't listen to the second episode. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to it. Just listen but, to it. But yeah, <laughs> let's, let's dive down the Cosmos rabbit hole. So Cosmos is a kind of what I was talking about, um, a ma- in-mass method to bl- uh, plug blockchains into each other so that they can have asset transfers between the two blockchains. And so what Cosmos is, is it calls itself a hub. And so all these different blockchains can plug into Cosmos through their uh, kind of their protocol of communicating with it. Um, and it's, they claim it that it's uh, pretty blockchain agnostic, so it doesn't really matter what kind of method your blockchain works. It's just uh, it, it'll have a a highway between uh, Cosmos and the other blockchain, and then there will be these operators that manage the uh, transactions between the two blockchains. And these operators are picked 
in a decentralized fashion, kind of how Casper works. Um, it, they, these block operators hold the Cosmos token for the privilege to validate transactions between the two blockchains. Uh, and there's a, a series of them, and they all have staked Atom tokens. Um, and then they all get a small fee to promise to uh, operate the uh, operate the transaction correctly. Uh, and so the idea is that any cryptocurrency can be sent around to any other uh, blockchain to interact with um, with it. Um, so you'll be able to get Litecoin plugged into Cosmos and be able to trade it for immediately for Bitcoin. And you can uh, send your Litecoin uh, to, to Ethereum and get a token on Ethereum or EOS and get a token on EOS or vice versa. Um, so it's just this interconnectivity uh, galaxy uh, where all these things can come together and coexist. Uh, I'm very excited for it. Um, but I was also very excited just uh, for the reasons that we were talking about where we will be able to get an ERC 20 of uh, Bitcoin trustlessly, where you can prove that it's uh, there through the code that Cosmos has, um, and and you know that you will always be able to withdraw your ERC Bitcoin through the Cosmos network and get a real Bitcoin back. Uh, and so that will be that will be a huge huge paradigm shift with what we are able to do in the cryptocurrency space. So I'm kind of I'm I just a little bit confused. Where so let's say I want to put Bitcoin on Ethereum in a trustless way using Cosmos. I have Bitcoin uh -huh. and I'm using Cosmos mm -hmm. to get my Bitcoin represented on Ethereum. Who has the Bitcoin private keys? It's it's a multi-sig. That's a good question. I don't know. It's a multi-sig that is uh that has the private keys in Cosmos. The, the Cosmos decentralized network has the private keys. I just feel like that's unacceptable for me right now as a Bitcoiner. <laughs> like that, that's, that's, it's if, not just If there was a piece of surface area where people could go in and steal the private keys, it wouldn't be that big of a project and people would be shitting on it, not respecting it. I'm sure they have that problem figured out. I don't know enough about uh, Bitcoin's code or how it, how it works. I'm not a developer, but I'm, I'm sure that they have thought about that. It seems like the way it works is kind of similar to a side chain or something like that. But when you're on the side chain, you're exposed to the side chain's consensus situation um, instead of Bitcoin's consensus situation. I mean, I, honestly, I think that I personally think that if there were Bitcoin tokens, they would be in, in any sort of long run view, be trading at a cheaper price than Bitcoin on Bitcoin's blockchain. Simply because you don't have the value of actually being a real Bitcoin. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you don't have the Bitcoin private keys to the security on the Bitcoin network. I think I think that'll be true if there is a history of unsuccessful withdrawals of Bitcoin tokens um, to to the Bitcoin blockchain. I think until people actually lose their Bitcoin um, through whatever reasons, I think it'll I think it'll hold its value or be higher because of the cost associated of putting it on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. um, I understand what you're saying because it's, it's a very Bitcoin thing of you to say is that you only trust yourself and, and that's very fair and, and you'll, you'll never lose your Bitcoins that way. I'm not sure that the majority of the crypto space really cares about it as, as long as they think that they can get their tokens out. If they and if they can't, then that's another story. Mm -hmm. Well, only time will tell, right? That's kind of the story. Only with time will tell. Uh huh. 
Mm-hmm. Well, but and and the story is just getting started with this wrapped Bitcoin, which is how we started this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, with the wrapped Bitcoin, I think it's it's Bitcoin financialization. So in my mm-hmm. mind, Bitcoin, yeah. that means Bitcoin in more places. So we got mm-hmm. Bitcoin financialization yep. with the futures. Now we have Bitcoin financialization on Ethereum, which is an alternative um, economy. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. I do think that, that the future... That, well, not. I don't think it, I'm not hard on this, but I do think that it's worth talking about is that the future of the cryptocurrency space is basically only Bitcoin and Ethereum, whereas Bitcoin is the hard money and Ethereum is the tech stack on top of Bitcoin that that sends it around as money to different places doing different things. Uh, I think I think basically that could be the only two things that are really left in crypto. Um, I don't think you need much more. Things like EOS and Litecoin are just kind of curiosities at that point, and maybe Cosmos too, just to link the two. But I, I, I think there's a plausible future where it's just Bitcoin and Ethereum, and Monero. <laughs> yeah, again, just no way to forecast that. I feel like there's going to be fewer than more. So just to push back on the multi-coiner view, I don't think that there's going to be this world of um, everything has like a blockchain and token. But uh, so I definitely think that there's going to be consolidation into a few, uh, you know, tokens that prove to have value over time. Uh, So we'll see, you know, exactly what that looks like. But it's going to be exciting and we'll be talking about it the whole time. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. And with that, guys, I think that this has been a pretty good show. David, anything else that you want to talk about or should we sign off? Uh, I think we're ready to sign off. Everyone, remember, please review and rate us. We need those things. Get stoked for our interview with Amin next week. We're going to be doing it. Oh, no, it's actually going to be two weeks from now. We're interviewing him on the 8th, um, but still get stoked. Damn, dude, he's going to be episode number 11. We have to do episode number 10. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, well. Yeah. He'll be he'll be at DevCon in between now and then, so he'll come back and give us a, some nice DevCon stories. We pre-teased Amin, but we're gonna we're gonna plug him multiple times. This is our big break, guys. <laughs> we're gonna be famous. So Amin, thanks for for showing on the show. Eventually, uh, follow us on Twitter, guys at POV Crypto Pod. We both are spending a decent amount of time trying to make that a useful resource, and we mm-hmm. we not only meme, but we sometimes drop some uh, some thought bombs. You can follow me on Twitter at ck underscore snarks, ck underscore snarks, and then you can find me at trustless underscore state, both on Twitter and Medium. I'm trying to write a little bit more, guys. I'm trying to I'm trying to get there. I promise. Nice. Well, the show is growing, guys. With that. To the moon, David. Adios. All right. See you guys in a week. Peace. Then it's a fool